So let's start with a question this morning. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to sacrifice? What, what are you willing to leave for the sake of the gospel? What, so what, what are some comforts? But what, are, what are some relationships? What, what are some things you're willing to do for the sake of the gospel? Maybe I should go back and say, what have you done for the sake of the gospel? What have you given up for the sake of the gospel? What sacrifices have you made for the sake of the gospel? You know, some of the, the key areas that we have to examine our lives in is, uh, first, we can talk about our time. How, how much of your time in a week do you sacrifice for the sake of the gospel? Think about it. You know, I, I appreciated our prayer time this morning, and the deaconess said, it's just amazing how fast life goes by. It's, it's just can't believe it's May or mid-May, and, and it's just, you know, life is but a mist, as the Bible teaches, right? And a lot of us have good intentions of what we're going to do for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but life just keeps racing by. And, and so it, it's a constant process of examining ourselves and saying, okay, what sacrifices am I making for the King of Kings? How am I living as, as an ambassador? How am I being the minister of reconciliation he calls me to be? And brothers and sisters, the driving motivation for this life isn't good works. It's an attitude of gratitude of what God has done for us that we should be driven to make sacrifices for him. Amen? Amen? Amen. So time is one. Another one is, is our, our treasures, our resources. Everybody here has resources of different levels, but the reality is sacrifice is sacrifice. Some that have more, give more to make it a sacrifice. Some that have less, give less, but it's still a sacrifice. But it has to be a sacrifice if it's really an offering of worship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So our time, we have to examine ourselves on what time we're committing to the Lord. Our treasures. And I would also say our relationships. What sacrifices are we making relationally? And we'll talk about this in more depth today. I'm just setting the stage for you. That's what's going on in the text this morning that we'll be looking at. And, 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 and Paul said, this is a key verse for today, it's verse 19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a slave to all, that I might win some of them to Christ. That's the key verse for today. I made my slave to all so that I might win some to Christ, that, that I may be used, I'm pouring my life out as a sacrifice so that some might be saved. Let me ask you this question. What is the value to you of one person being saved? One person. If you invested your whole life in the gospel and God used you to save one person, what would that mean to you?
You have to see that no matter what else we do in life and the busyness and what we accomplish and what we learn, and we'll be talking about all that today, really, there's nothing wrong with that. We're going to talk about that. But the reality is if we are not dedicated and committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are not investing anything in eternity. If, you, if God uses you to save one soul, that will be an eternal reward for you in heaven. And that's what Paul's talking about today. So with that, if you'd open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to work our way through kind of a big piece of text here this morning, 15 through 27. So let me man- I like to manage expectations. Some of you, your sermon clock starts going off at 30, 35 minutes. Reset the clock. It's going to be, because I can't break up this text. It ha- we have to get through all this today. So just reset your little sermon t- uh, clock. We're going to be just a little bit longer today. Are you all right? Because we've got a lot to do. So with that, uh, please stand for the reading of God's word. And again, it's 1 Corinthians 9, 15 through 27. And then Deaconess Ann will read it for us this morning. Good morning, family. <laughs> um, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground. I became outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Mm -hmm. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Um, may I have a blessing the reading? Amen. Amen, Amen. Amen Anne. Thank you.
or I'll start with verse 15. It says, but, but I have made no use of any of these rights. I've got to bring you back into the context here from Pastor Tyler last week because he's referring back to what Pastor Tyler taught. I make no use of any of these rights. What are those rights? Those were the six points that he made on why he had the right to get paid as a pastor. You remember that from last week? So Tyler went over those. Um, you know, some of the things he talked about is that I am an apostle. Uh, it, I am, it is commonly followed practice to pay workers. It's God's law, it's God's law. Deuteronomy 25.4. You are supporting other pastors, including Apollos and Peter, but I'm your founding pastor. It's a universal pattern. Jesus commanded it. You followed this practice within the temple. He gave all these reasons that th- these are reasons of why I have the right to get paid as a pastor. I thought Pastor Tyler did a phenomenal job. I don't just say that because he's my son-in-law, but I think he did a phenomenal job teaching that with great humility last week. And, And so he says, but I have made no use of any of these rights. I've never called you out on any of these rights. I've never told you that you needed to pay me. And now he goes on here. Look at the next part of the verses. Nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision now. Do you see that? He goes, I want to make sure that you don't think I'm trying to guilt you into this, though you all start sending me checks. Uh, That's not the point of this. I don't want to get paid. I've never been paid. I don't want to get paid. That's not the reason I'm telling you this. I would say he's telling it more to them so they know the responsibility to the other pastors because uh, the Apostle Paul was not saying this is the standard. I am the exception to this, this pattern of being paid. In fact, he said all the other apostles are being paid. So don't put me there. That's not why I'm writing this so you start sending me checks. But I'm telling you, as we'll see, why I'm telling you this. And he he goes on here, and we see uh, Pastor Tyler went over these already, but it was a consistent pattern in the apostle's life. I'll just go over these quickly, because Tyler did last week. It's for for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day. Nor do we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we work night and day, that we may not be a burden to any of you. And lastly, Acts 20, 33 through 35, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourself know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So he made that point strongly, but again, it wasn't the standard, but the exception. So what, why? Why was it such a big deal for Paul? Let's look at a couple truths here. He says, one of these says, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. This was a conviction of the Apostle Paul's life that he would not get paid for preaching the word of God. And it was a point of boasting, he says. You see? Now, you think, well, what's that all? That sounds kind of prideful. But the reality is, I want you to picture this, is the Apostle Paul was a persecutor of Christians. He was hunting them down, imprisoning them, and killing Christians. And then we all know on the road to Damascus, Lord Jesus appears to him and calls him out of that life of extreme depravity. Now, what did Paul believe at the time? He believed he was serving God, right? He, he, was, a, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He thought this was God's work to get rid of this false cult called Christianity. 
But then God saved him. And <clears throat> even Jesus said, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of the gospel. So Paul, out of his great love for God, wanted to pour out his life as a sacrifice to the Lord. And one of the ways he wanted, one of the convictions he had, he goes, I'm going to preach this gospel and I never want to get paid. It's, it's one of my offerings in the offering box to God. And he took great pride in that fact that he didn't get paid for, for, for what he did. Boasting. Boasting. So much so he said, I'd rather die than have this, this privilege taken away from me as a sacrifice to the Lord. Now look what he does next here. He, he says, this is, this is wondrous to me. Uh, it says, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. Isn't that interesting? I mean, come on. Paul was the, the most compassionate, persevering, diligent preacher of the gospel that we see in Scripture, was he not? I mean, come on. He was beaten for the sake of the gospel. He was flogged for the sake of the gospel. He was in prison for the sake of the gospel. He kept preaching the gospel. If there's anything he should be able to boast about is that I was faithful to the gospel. Right? He said, that, I should get something for that. But he says, I can't boast in that. Why can't he boast in it? Well, one of the reasons he can't boast in it because the gospel is not his message. It's God's message. It's God's message. It's God's good news for us. He was given that message. It was God's message. It was God's power. It was God's work that gave Paul this message of the gospel that we still celebrate today. Amen? Amen. So he goes, it wasn't, it's not my message. I can't boast about this message. It's his message. And then this is really uh, amazing. He says, for necessity is laid upon me. Do you see that? Is everybody with me? Okay. Remember, the clock. Stay with me. For necessity, some of your, some of your translation says, because I was compelled to preach the gospel. Do you get that? He says, I can't boast because I was compelled. Do you know what that means? It means that, that, that God called him out of the darkness and, and Paul couldn't help himself. He had to preach the gospel. It was God's supernatural calling on his life. He couldn't say no. He had to preach the gospel because God compelled him to do it. In fact, well, look, I got another verse. I put it in your hand now, but I just want to show you another verse of kind of a similar thing here with Jeremiah. You all remember the prophet Jeremiah, who was God's prophet in probably the most difficult time in the history of Israel because no one was repenting. And he was a faithful prophet bringing the message to this the people of Israel, and they continued to turn against him. Eventually, they killed him for the message he brought of God. So he, he was known as the weeping prophet because he didn't see any converts in his work for God. But this is what he said about being compelled by God. He said, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. His word is in my heart like fire. I sh a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding in this message. Indeed, what does he say? I cannot. That's, that's being compelled to preach the gospel. Even though he was persecuted, no converts, he could not help himself but preach the gospel. We see the same thing in the apostles here in Acts 4, 18 through 20. Do you remember this is when Peter and John had been preaching the gospel in the Temple Mount and the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, called them in for uh, a scolding here they said then they called them in again and command them not to speak or teach in the name of jesus but peter and john replied which is right in god's eyes to listen to you or to him you be the judges as for us we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard 
they were compelled to preach the gospel. Paul was compelled to reach the gospel. Let me add this as an application point. I think every true preacher of the living word is compelled to preach the gospel. If you're a true preacher of the word of God, you cannot not preach the gospel. It's the burden of our hearts. Now, of course, we know there's a lot of false pastors out there, false teachers, there's wolves and so on. But I'm talking about one that is truly called by God. They cannot help but preach the gospel. You know, the picture that was given to me, which is so true, and, and Pastor Tyler and I have talked about this, the picture that was given is that during the week, it's as if we're becoming pregnant. Well, stay with me. So. so it's as if we're becoming pregnant. And so by Saturday, I am nine and a half months pregnant. I've got to deliver this baby. I've got to get this word up. It's bursting inside of me. It's burning me up. I've got to preach. And if it's on the street corner, sometimes it's to my wife. I, someone will listen to me. I've got to get this out. Right? So that, that's the picture of what Paul's saying. He said, how can I boast? This fire that's in me was given to me by God. I can't help but do what God's called me to do. So I'm going to get in your kitchen here a little bit. Yeah, what? God compels all of us when he saves us. He compels all of us. He put that fire in you. It's not maybe the fire to preach the word of God, but there's a fire to serve the God, serve God. There's a fire to, to witness for God. There's a, how about this? There's a fire to become holy and righteous as God is. Amen. There's this calling on our lives. It's undeniable. Yeah, we can quench it. We can push it down. But that fire just keeps, if you're truly born again, that spirit of God will not let you rest in laziness and apathy. He's going to move you forward somehow for the kingdom of God. And he's doing it because he, it's for your good and his glory that he's moving you to serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And within that compelling, every one of us that's truly born again should be compelled to share the gospel with this lost and dying world. In your own context, in your own settings, in your own ways. Not giving you formulas, but I'm telling you, if you're sitting here today and you don't have any compelling going on, you have to question whether you're really born again. Right? Yeah. Okay. Do you agree? Yeah, okay. So there's the compelling. This is compelling should be in all of us. And uh, Paul's just saying, I can't, take, I can't boast about this. We can't boast about it. It's the calling of God. We're just out of our gratitude for what God's done for us. We're just telling people about God. And, and we're, we're in the word every day because we, we want to be more holy and righteous so that people might even ask us why we're living the life we live. So he goes... Sounds like an alarm. That, see, that's the sermon alarm. It's been about 30 minutes. It says, so, so here, let's continue. It says, for if I preach the gospel, it gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is placed on me. I'm compelled to do it. Then he gives us a third reason. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Do you see that? Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And, 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 and the picture here is, is the discipline of God, but it's also reverent fear of God that, Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel because I love God so much. I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want to let him down for all he's done for me. It's that reverent fear is, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel because God... Here, you want to know what God's greatest discipline is for the believer? 
Silence. You ever been there? Yeah. I've been there. I, I, was, I was in a season of sin and I'd get up and open the word and I would pray and there would be silence. God was not speaking to me because sin separated us from God and sin does separate us from God. And so there was silence. That is the, the, the most disciplining pain that I've ever felt. He's silent. He, I can't have fellowship with him, the God of the universe. So the point is, is Paul's like, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. I don't want to be separated from God. I don't want to be disciplined by God. I don't want to disappoint God. Then he continues here. He says, for I, if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. Do you see that? So if this was all about my plan and my purpose and my good works, then I, I would get a reward. But it's not. It's all about God's word, God's message, God's power, his is compelling me to preach the gospel, and I do it out of reverent fear, so I can't boast about this. This is all God. Amen. This is all God. Amen. He said, but I still entrust him with a stewardship. I like that he drops that in there. Um, because even if we're compelled, we can become lazy. Pastors can, can become lazy. They can re-preach old sermons. They can find sermons online. They can do all kinds of crazy things. But he says, I still have a stewardship. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I'm compelled to do this, but I still have to put the work in. I've got to put the hours every week of studying the word of God and praying for the congregation and having the Holy Spirit lead me to whatever convicting points he wants to bring me to the congregation. I will be accountable to stewardship. Amen. True with us. True with all of us. Stewardship. He says, what then is my, what then is my reward? That is my preaching. I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So he's saying that one of the rewards I'm looking forward to is the fact that I've been convicted not to preach and get paid. And for that, I should receive a award when I get to the glorious throne of Jesus Christ. Have you experienced the great joy of making a sacrifice for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Have you experienced that? The sacrifice of time, talent, treasures. You know what I'm talking about? I pray you all know what I'm talking about. You just, you went above and beyond the call of duty. You, 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 how about this? Maybe after church you're, you're tired and, and, and someone needs help in the church and you, you, you deny self and you go help them. You make a sacrifice for a brother or sister in the church. You done that? It's a wondrous thing when you serve the Lord sacrificially. He blesses you beyond belief. You just, there's a peace and a love and a joy that comes over you as you, as you sacrificially serve the king. I'm not getting a lot of amens here. Amen. Okay. So, so Paul had this and he, he, you can just picture Paul. I just picture Paul at night sewing away on these tents, singing hymns. Praising God for this great blessing he has to sew these tents up. And, and, and it's an offering to him, right? He's making a sacrifice for the king. So it's beautiful. Okay, let's... Now he gets into this... You know, now he gets a little bit deeper. He, he kind of got into a little personal testimony there that calling in his life 
And now he's going to talk more specifically about why he's given up his Christian liberties, why he's giving up his rights. See, because Paul says, for, I am, for though I am free from all. Do you see that? For though I am free for all, from all. I, I have the same freedoms that every Christian has. Here's, here's some things. I, Paul, could Paul get married if he wanted to? Yes, he could get married. Could he have children? Yeah. Could he have a home? Yeah. Is there anything wrong with those things? No. Could, could he have some comforts in his life? Yeah. Did he have, could he just stay in one town and be a pastor there and not travel around the world? He, he had all those rights that, that any Christian has. But he says, so I'm free. Don't get me wrong. I am free as anyone else that's born again in Christian. But he says, I have decided to make myself a slave to all. It was my, it's my choice to make myself a slave all. What was the purpose for that? That I might win more of them. That more of them might be saved. My burden is that others out there are lost. There's no churches. There's no church in Corinth if I don't go to Corinth and plant a church. There's no church in Ephesus if I don't go to Ephesus and plant a church. How will these people ever hear the gospel? So I'm, I'm going to put all my Christian liberties, all my rights aside and pour out my life as a, as a sacrificial offering to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Self-denial. Self-denial. And then he begins to give examples. He says, to the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. He gives a few examples for us to know what he's talking about. Now, just so you could picture this, you know, the Jews, you know, a lot of them didn't understand the gospel, but a lot of them were still deep into ceremonial rites and cleansing and kosher foods and all the rest of it, right? So Paul would get in a Jewish community, he would adapt to their culture. He'd put on his old Pharisee robes and, it's on scripture, doesn't say that, this is the way I picture it, but he puts on those old Pharisee robes, he's got the long t- prayer tassel coming down and he goes in amongst them and, you know, he's saying the prayers and eating the kosher food and following all the rituals he'd he had followed his whole life. It's called pre-evangelism. He's, he's getting into a place where he can earn the right to speak the gospel. But if he came into these settings and said, hey, listen, what are you doing eating kosher food? And what, what, why are you cleansing like that? that? Those things have all been replaced by the new covenant, don't you? They wouldn't listen to him. He gets in amongst them. He befriends them, shows them he's a, he knows the process. He knows the people. And then in that context, he shares the gospel. Put all his rights aside, even though he knows there was no salvation in any of those things. He put them aside for the sake of winning some of those Jews to Christ. And then he says, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. So he's saying that even when it came to the law, he was willing to look at this as one under the law. I'm not under the law. Don't be confused. I know there's no salvation in the law. The law was given us to show we couldn't keep the law to reveal our own sinfulness so that we'd be ready when the Messiah came so that we might be saved. Because I know that. He said, but I'm going to go under this law so that I might win some to Christ. I think one of the greatest examples is he was taking Timothy with him on a missionary trip and they were going to be with Jews. And what did he do to Timothy? He circumcised him. So that Timothy would be more accepted with the Jews. I'd say, Paul, that wasn't your sacrifice. <laughs> that was Timothy's. But, but that's one where he, he went under the law so that when they got to the Jewish community, they would be accepted. 
so that they could share the gospel. There's also the cleansing thing, which he was instructed to do by the leadership in Jerusalem. But anyway, you, you get the point. He was willing to do this so that some might be saved. And then he says, to those outside the law, he became to one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. I love that truth, that I might win those outside the law. What's he saying here? So when I was hanging with Gentiles, I adapted to the Gentile culture. You know what? I'm going to go have a feast in Aphrodite's temple today, in the temple dining halls, and I'm going to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. I'm going to change my clothes. I'm going to get out of this Pharisee garb and put on some Gentile clothing, and I'm going to sit in that context and share the gospel. Jeans. Jay said they had jeans. I don't think they had jeans yet. But he is, Levi is a Jew, so who knows when it came, so... So he, he went and hung with them and ate pork chops and ribs and you know all that kind of good stuff and just hung with these guys, all with the pre-evangelists, all with the contextual setting so that he could share the gospel. By the way, don't, don't misunderstand this. I've seen Christians think that this means that Paul entered into sin. He never entered into sin. So don't think that for you to share the gospel, you're going to go out in a bar and get drunk with somebody so you can talk to them about Jesus. That is not the context here. The context, I'm going to eat what they do, I'm going to dress like they dress, I'm going to sit with these guys, I'm going to probably take some, some language I don't like hearing, I'm not going to join in on it, all with the context of sharing the gospel. So Paul did not break the moral law of God, as he said, I'm under the law of Christ. And then the last example he gives to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. And what he's talking about, there were weak Jews who had a hard time letting go of living under the law. There were weak Gentiles who had a hard time dealing with eating meat to idol, uh, to idol worship. There were those who were, had weak consciences that we already talked about. And so, you know, instead of being superior, prideful, and judgmental, he'd come along and meet these people where they were. Yeah, I know this is the 50th time I talked to you about the gospel, but this will be the 51st time. Right. And I'm going to do it with love. You know, I... Confess, I had a hard time when I first got saved because I would meet people and I want them to be here and they were here, right? And this is a confession. I mean, I, and so my mentor was so uh, loving and kind. He'd say, Keith, you, you can't expect them to be here. They may never be here. They have different callings on their life. They have different gifting. They have different, equip they have different backgrounds. He said, your job is they're here is to get them to here. Get him to the next step. And he said, by the way, that might take five years. Amen. He slowed my roll. He slowed the whole thing down. And that's being weak to the weak. It's meeting people where they are, not judging them, but helping them to the next step, right? And that was the Apostle Paul. And if we think someone's driven, I don't think anybody was as driven as the Apostle Paul. So he summarizes, he said, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you see that? So what he's saying here, brothers and sisters, I, I want you to get this self-denial down. You, can, can you say self-denial? Self-denial. Self-denial. He's putting all his rights aside for the sake of the gospel. He's, 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 he's putting it aside so that some might be saved. And then I love this, that I may share with them in the blessings what he's talking about. He's talking about one more person joining the Oasis family here that's been born again. And we get to share the blessings with them of the kingdom of God. Isn't that awesome? 
Yeah, and he wants to use all of you to bring more people to the saving grace of Jesus. And he says, so I look forward to this, just, you know, another person sitting down and being born again. And if you've ever seen that in someone's life, it's an amazing thing to see someone transform from being stuck in the darkness and being controlled by Satan to being born again. And all of a sudden the light goes on and you're like, oh man, this, this person really has been saved and there's a hunger and thirst for righteousness and they, they're a completely different person. You know, when I was visiting with Maurice, he, he was telling me, he goes, you don't want to know the old Maurice. And we can all say that, amen. But he was saying, I said, Maurice, I said, I've only known the saved Maurice. I, don't, I can't picture that in you anymore. I can't see you like that. And that's, how, that's just a beautiful thing when someone is saved. And that's what he's talking about, celebrating the salvation. And how significant it is, is, is that heaven rejoices when one is saved. Okay, let me get in your kitchen again. Have you noticed that we're naturally selfish people? Have you noticed that our default is self? Who here gets up in the morning and says, you know what? I'm excited about denying self today. I'm excited about denying self. I can't, you know, this is so exciting to me that I'm going to go out today and I'm going to make sacrifices. I don't know what God's going to do, but I'm willing just to, whatever he leads me to, even if it ruins my whole day and, and leads me on a, a, just a crazy day, it's not about me. Is that how anybody starts a day? No, we don't start the day that way. And if we're not careful, self keeps coming back on the top of our agendas. It's a constant battle. Every day. You get a phone call or someone, someone wants to meet with you or, or so, you know, I'm tired. It's been a long week. I don't even want to get in my car again. Right? So, so there's this battle of self, selfishness. And so you have to realize that to live this life Paul's talking about, it takes a supernatural work of God to get up every day, deny self, and serve others for the sake of the gospel. And please hear me. I am not saying it's easy. It's probably the hardest thing any of us are called to do. The verse I love, one of my favorite life verses is Luke 9.23. It says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, do you want to be my, his disciple? This is Jesus speaking. Do you want to be his disciple? Amen. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up my cross every day and follow me. Amen. So that's the call of Christ. Okay, sermon number two. So we go from self-denial to self-discipline. Self-denial to self-discipline. Because this is the only way you'll be able to live a self-denying life is with self-discipline. That's why he goes to this next. And he says here, do you, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? Well, let me give you a little historical context here. Corinth was a sports town. Okay, There was two main sporting events, unlike our day, there was the Olympics and the Isthminian game from the Isthmus, where they, that was in Corinth, where they had these uh, games, and they had big stadiums set up for these games that would happen every year. And so it was a sports town. I mean, athletes would hang out there because this is where the games were, they would train there. But every year, athletes from all over the world would come into Corinth 
In fact, they were required to train one full month in Corinth because they had to be tested to even be approved to be part of the games, right? So you can picture this. Paul probably went to some of these games and sat in the stadium and watched some of these races, right? Because he's got a good picture of it here. But I would say, this is my vision. I picture Paul during the whole race probably talking to someone about Jesus, right? He didn't waste his time in the stadium. He got a small audience together and shared the gospel. But I just want to say this is a sports town, so he uses this sports illustration that all the Corinthians would understand. And so he says, there are many runners who run the race. And by the way, how many of those runners desire to win? All of them want to. Yeah, but you're right. What you're saying, brothers, only one will win. Yeah, they all want to win. But he says only one of them is going to win. And what, what are they going to win? A perishable a perishable wreath. So it's what he's talking about here. He's picturing them in this race. And, and then he says that every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Now stay with me on here. This is important about self-discipline. So every athlete, athlete disciplines their life in all ways, right? What they eat and drink. Their exercise program. How much rest they get. right? What they say no to. Right? It's, a, it's a completely surrendered life to, to be a great athlete. You can't just live life like you want to. You know, I can just remember I played football in high school, and I remember that even then I was like, I was grumbling, complaining, because after school I had to go to practice. All my friends were going out to McDonald's. McDonald's was a big deal when I was a kid. I mean, now it's kids, that's a punishment for kids now to get McDonald's. But. So they'd be all going, but we had to stay in practice. And then on Friday nights, they're all going out to the movies. We couldn't go out. We had a game Saturday morning. So, and then what we ate and our exercise and all that. And so it's kind of this all-encompassing life if you want to really participate effectively in sports, right? And that's what he's saying. He said that, so these athletes have to surrender it all. And what he's trying to say to you is, how does your life look in comparison to that? Because they do all this to get a perishable reward. What they gave back in, the, in these games was a pine wreath, which would last a week or two, right? So for a while, you know, you probably threw the wreath over your shoulder and walked around town and let everybody know you were the man, right? I, that, yeah, that was me. 50-yard dash, I was the guy. But a week after that, the wreath's in the garbage, and who are you? No one remembered you. He's saying, so he said, he's calling us out. He's saying, so think about this. He goes, I'm talking about discipline in your life to win imperishable rewards in heaven. Imperishable, eternal, forever. So do you think maybe you might want to discipline your life to win these imperishable rewards? You know, it's... Let me just talk about a few perishable things and we'll come back to the imperishable. Is it a sin to work hard? No. 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 Is it? No, it's, it's commanded in Scripture. We're designed for work. Work isn't a curse in itself. We're all supposed to work each day as unto the Lord. It's a gift from God. God's always working. Work is a good thing. It's a, it's a gift. And we should all work to the best of our ability whatever God's designed us to do. Amen? But no matter how, what we achieve in the work world of work, it's perishable. Whatever achievements you realize in this world, they're perishable rewards. Amen? 
Doesn't mean we don't do it. We do it with all. I work as unto the Lord every day myself, and it's it, you have to do that because it's commanded in Scripture. And to be honest with you, that is where I find great joy is serving the Lord as I work each day as unto Him. Amen. What What about this? Is uh, is it a sin for people to like you? To have people like you? No, it's not a sin. But some people, it becomes, you know, it's, it's good that we should all get along and be at peace with one another as best we can. Sometimes we have to be peacemakers and get into people's kitchens and help them to see that they're slipping away from the Lord. But generally, it's good for all of us to get along with all of our different backgrounds, right? We should. We should love each other. It's the second commandment to love one another as, as God loves us. So it's good, but for some people, it becomes an idol and it becomes over the top where it's more important than anything else. Are you with me on that? And by the way, that's a perishable, that's a perishable uh, thing within the, the kingdom of God. Is it bad to be in physically good shape? Is it bad? Is it, is it sin to eat right and exercise? No, but for some people it becomes an idol, right? Where I can tell you because gravity's having its way with me at my age. No matter how hard you work out or how well you eat, gravity's going to win. If you want to know what something's perishable, look in the mirror, because it's perishable. And so the whole point is, he said, his point of this is that so many people, especially in our day, are racing 110 miles an hour, and what they're pursuing more than anything else is perishable wreaths. And, and, and when we get before the throne of Christ, and he's going to say, what did you do with my son? What did you do with the gospel? Well, I was benching 350 pounds. <laughs> I made $5 million. Did you see all the friends I had? I had more people on Facebook than anybody you know following me. Is that what you do on Facebook, I think? No. I need correction. I don't have Facebook. But the point is, is that Jesus will care less about all the perishable things we realize. He's going to care about what did you do with my son? What did you do with the gospel? So he says, I do not run aimlessly, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You see that we're almost done. You're doing great. Um, another couple sports illustrations. They obviously had boxing back then too. But he's, here's the deal. is You're never going to achieve the imperishable goal without having a plan. You can't do it without a plan. It's not going to just happen. And you can't keep saying, yeah, when I graduate from the mission, when I get a good job, when I get settled down, when, when all the stars align, you know, then I'm going to start being this person that I always wanted to be for Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Amen. It, it's, it's faithful today. today. It's faithful today. And it's a, that's why he said daily. Deny self daily because it's a daily surrendering. It's a daily discipline to live this life that God called you to. And just, we talked, uh, my brother Demetrius, I was just talking about this on Wednesday. You know, when we get out of physical discipline, you know, if I eat a donut today, I'll probably eat two tomorrow. Are you with me on that? It doesn't take long to get out of physical discipline. And that is even more significant with spiritual discipline. We have to have that discipline in our life. You have to have a plan. And the most important thing your, of your life is the daily time with God, your daily time in prayer. And here's another one. You should all have a few verses that are significant to you right now that you're meditating on in a struggle in your life. Amen. All the time there should be verses that you're working on 
that are helping you with a specific area of struggle in your life. That is, that is the disciplined life. And if you, if you live that disciplined life day to day, it would be much easier to deny self and it would be much easier to carry out the gospel in this lost and dying world. Self-denial. Self-discipline. Don't be focused on perishable gifts. Be focused on imperishable gifts. The gifts of God. Thanks for your patience. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for just this day together, this time in your word. And Lord, I cry out for all of us here that we would be more committed to self-denial. And we know that that will happen as we become more self-disciplined in our life, that you become the center of our life. Your word becomes central. Our prayers become central so that we can live this life you called us to. Lord, I cry out there'll be so many regrets on the day of judgment of the things I shoulda, coulda, woulda. Help that not to be true for the Oasis. Help us to be building up imperishable gifts in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.